Hello and welcome to another episode of Crowdfunding Champions. My name is Rob Wilson and my guest today is Ben Farron, the founder and CEO of Spoke, the men's fashion brand who raised over £4.7 million on Cedars. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's great to be here. Ben, for those who aren't familiar with Spoke, would you be able to just start by giving us a quick overview of the business? Sure. Yes, Spoke is a direct-to-consumer menswear brand started in 2014. We sell menswear with an emphasis on legs and fit, which to say we think fit comes first. And we have finished to order in over 400 sizes to deliver an extraordinary level of fit relative to the rest of the marketplace. So yeah, we've been around for eight years and have been through a couple of rounds of venture financing. This will, in fact, have been our fourth major round. So yeah, reasonable amount of experience doing it in different ways. This was our first attempt stepping into the crowdfunding space. So Ben, what inspired you to set up Spoke? Uh, Well, there's no quick answer to that question because many things fed into the slightly strange decision to sell trousers on the internet. But, and then, you know, the truth is quite contingent and one thing led to another. But I guess in summary, I felt the consumer need. I was frustrated by fashion, which I thought was talking past me about things I didn't really care about. I thought there was an opportunity to do things that address the needs of what felt like a large constituency of men. And that collided with a couple of things. One was an explosion in uh, direct-to-consumer activity, especially over in the US. I felt like people were doing some really interesting things with the e-commerce model, and there was room to explore those ideas here in the UK. And the third point I'd make is the most nebulous or abstract, but I quite fancied the idea of building a consumer brand. I thought that I would be gratified that I would, at some level, self-actualize through the process of just making a loved consumer brand that appeared to be enriching people's lives in some way. I thought that would I could get out of bed in the morning for that. And that it might be more gratifying than making PowerPoint slides and Excel models, which largely summarizes my career to that point. So yeah, all of those things came together. One thing led to another. And here we are. I sell trousers on the internet. Great stuff. And I'm so glad that you have created the brand. I'm, I'm a customer myself. Love, love the uh, the story as well. And I guess what, I, what I'm really keen to, to find out is about your crowdfunding campaign. So you recently, uh, you raised over £5 million uh, on Cedars through 1.5 thousand individual investors. What inspired you? And I guess what was, was the reasoning behind you going down this route and launching a crowdfunding campaign? Worth pausing just to note that my existing investors also contributed to the round and to the total size of that ticket that you mentioned. Um, so grateful to them for helping in the process. And I think that's obviously an important part of it. As most people will tell you, if you want to have uh, success in the crowdfunding space, you need a fast start and momentum. And my existing investors were able to give me that. So, so very much part of the picture. In terms of the decision to take a, a crowdfunding approach, some of this was just kind of the build-up of suggestion over many years. I think in part as a function of who our customers are, the sort of demographic that we appeal to, plenty of them had suggested to us that we create the opportunity for them to invest directly in the long-term success of the business and its growth. That They'd asked for this opportunity. 
And so it, it felt like it was sitting there latent as an opportunity in our you know, for spoke. And it feels like we're getting to the point where we, the option to pursue a crowdfund was going to expire. This might have been the last gaze at which it made any kind of sense. And I've always quite liked the idea of bringing our customers on the journey. We have the, the economics of this business are entirely underpinned by the incredible loyalty of our customer base, the frequency and speed with which they repeat purchase with us, which is a tremendous endorsement that we appreciate enormously, but, but it also, as I say, uh, underpins the, the economics of this business. And the idea of giving those same customers the opportunity to invest directly in Spoke felt congruent with that loyalty and enthusiasm for the brand that they'd shown us for so long. So something about it felt like it made sense, like it stacked up. I had felt that for a long time. And we're in a position where we're approaching profitability in our core business. That's starting to fund some of our acquisition activities in other parts of the world. And so at this point in our funding life cycle, we didn't need to raise a big ticket. Quite like the idea of killing two birds with one stone, if you like, addressing this kind of latent desire on the part of some of our customers to get more involved in the spoke growth journey with the, some very specific goals around funding international growth. And yeah, that all came together in what seemed like a good rationale at the start of the year to pursue a crowdfund. And I approached a little bit of trepidation about what might be involved in the process and how much of a bandwidth suck it was going to be in the event. And I'm sure we'll get to this. I was pleasantly surprised. And it's turned into one of the more efficient ways to raise finance that I've run across in my time running Spoke. And you mentioned there that you had previous investors that participated as part of the round. Did you have any conversations with them about crowdfunding? And if so, what were their views on that? Yes, absolutely. It would have been difficult to pursue this without their blessing. Several of them sit on the board. And I suppose their views were mixed, or perhaps more precisely, they communicated to us that views in the marketplace were mixed and that they'd heard both arguments and that it probably left them in a net neutral position. So there are, I mean, of course, you can hear people talk to the themes that Crowdfunding is what you do if you run out of other options and that somehow the brand will be diluted or some sort of shadow will be cast over your cap table if you indulge in crowdfunding. Never completely understood where that argument comes from, but some people look down their nose at it as a route. And I don't think there was anybody in the board that was really taking that any of my existing investors that took that position, but they just warned us that some people might pattern match and that, that that might be something that we need to deal with in the future. And I suppose there was also some counsel around the idea that it, that it could be a reasonably intensive process that could become quite distracting for management, both during the transaction and indeed afterwards as you continue to manage a large community of individual investors. So those were the warnings. But I think everybody understood that there was this kind of unusual degree of overlap between customer and capital markets for, for Spoke in the sense that our customers were the type of people who might make this retail investment in a relatively high-risk asset class. And so consequently, there was an opportunity to only strengthen 
the advocacy of some particularly passionate spoke customers and the kind of ancillary marketing benefit of all of that felt real. There were kind of views on both sides were shared before the fact of it, before we did it. I don't think you ever know for sure that you're embarking on something that you're going to feel good about at the end. As it happens, we do. And in terms of the process, walk us through that. What happened from the start all the way to the end of the campaign? It kicked off with a marketing effort, inevitably. You need to create that crowdfunding video and it needs to have reasonably high production values. And so a lot of work initially went went into the creation of that asset and the setup of various pages. There were a lot of tactical discussions about how and when exactly to launch, how to use the pre-registration mechanism, what sort of audiences of ours to share that with and how to drum up interest before the launch. I think that covers most of the effort that went in before we went live. You know, there was a lot of planning, CRM planning around who we were going to contact in what order and how we could layer those messages in a way that allowed us to keep them coming without repeating the same thing over and over. And a lot of effort to sort of set up the pages, specifically the, the videos that were embedded into that. That was where the bulk of the effort went at the outset. And then the first thing to be said about the spoke experience, I don't know how representative it is because I had this enormous list of incredibly engaged customers who are incredibly engaged week to week anyway when I send them messages about trousers, very high open and click rates, and who besides were great targets for a crowdfunding campaign too. So we have to refract everything through the lens of the, through that lens and the idea that we might have been well disposed to success in, in this, you know, just given the, the, the spoke brand and its audience. But I would say that beyond that, the key to success and momentum in the early days was the rapidity and clarity with which most the COO Adam stayed on top of the message boards and the questions that were fired at us by the community. I think you do an awful lot to signal the kind of management team you are and the degree of control you have over your business and your plans in the way that you respond to that community in the early days after launch. And I think a lot of our success was, was I don't, I'm not taking personal credit here, as I say, this, this was almost entirely the effort of my CRO, but the speed with which we got back to the queries that, that came our way. We sort of largely, to try and manage management time we split our roles into the, the upfront marketing piece which i largely led and adam who did incredible work on managing the community and answering the sometimes you know very sharp questions that we got back from the community i would say it varies you get some less sharp questions too but it, there were moments when we were pretty surprised by the sophistication of the, you know, effectively the due diligence that was going on on the part of the community in the early days following launch. Yeah, and I think keeping momentum up on that conversation was an enormous part of our success. So yeah, then the, the campaign ran for what twenty days. I think we finished ten days early because we'd gone quite a long way past our target and we had a, our iron dilution a little bit. And then there was complexity around closing for us because of. A, a couple of instruments that we had outstanding on our cap table, well, some convertible loan notes specifically connected with media for equity deals we have in place. And so there was some arcane legal stuff that we had to work our way through that slowed down the actual process of closing for Spoke. I will say, I don't know how much of a pitch I can give to an individual crowdfunding platform in this context. You should warn me off if you don't want me to name names, but I will say that 
the knowledge or the security we had with Cedars and knowing that everything was going into escrow when people people were making real commitments, especially given that we had a slightly extended closing process on account of the legal work that we had to do for various reasons, was reassuring. That helped me sleep at night. I felt good about that. But yeah, I mean, look, end to end, from deciding that we were going to we were going to do this to money in the bank, fastest fundraiser I've ever done. Incredible. And I think it was £3.3 million within the first 24 hours. Was that right? Yeah, it was quick. Well, no, I should be. There's a bit of nuance here. It actually fell quite a long way short of expectations on day one. I would say that the weakest part of our campaign was pre-registration. We probably just didn't share it with a wide enough audience. We didn't have that many signups. Um, So when we launched, we were launching to a pre-registration list of four or 5,000. It was underwhelming. And look, it doesn't matter how engaged or qualified that list is. If it's only four or 5,000 big, you're going to struggle to build truly big momentum on day one. And I was incredibly downbeat over the weekends. I thought, I mean, our experience of other marketing activities is the half-life of any kind of communication on really in space of almost any campaign is usually like a day and a half. And if you don't get off to a fast start, it's not like you ever pick up momentum later. And the lesson that I learned through this process that is, is worth sharing is that actually the fundraising comp- campaign was pretty non-linear for us. Yes, after three or four days, we were looking golden. But a lot of that strength came through on day three when we opened up the campaign to a much wider audience of people. And by that time, I'd sort of, I'd started slightly, I mean, as I say, well, certainly the first 24 hours, I felt very dark about it. So my counsel to people would be, you know, especially if you've got started by sharing with a small pre-registration group and things aren't going in exactly the way that you'd like, our experience would suggest that sometimes that the curve response in those early days can be, you know, a little bumpy. And that was much to our benefit. Things things warmed up. And then it became incredibly, once it had got momentum, once things were really, we'd hit that pretty big total in the first two or three days, it settled into a really regular rhythm. Just, I mean, every day we seemed to be banking another sort of 50, 60 grand, sometimes much more than that. There was an email communication around the campaign. So despite the fact that we went a long way past what we targeted, it was very, we found it quite difficult to turn off. It was, there was something, I don't know. I mean, at some level, anytime anybody takes the decision to invest in your business, there's something enormously gratifying about that endorsement. And I felt something almost perverse about turning that off when people were doing, you know, many people were writing reasonably large checks, at least in personal terms, every day. So it was a thrill. I suspect that in the way we handled the close, we probably made sure everybody that was considering investment knew, and we did a lot to sweep up any remaining demand that was there in those last two or three days. So I'm not really worried that we, you know, we left lots on the table. And in any event, we were maxed out. We didn't really want to raise very much more than we did. You talked about this snowball effect, and you tend to see this with campaigns. You know, Once they hit their target, the momentum really starts to build up and the conversion rates start to increase. How did you go about setting your campaign target? Well, bluntly, we figured out how much we wanted to raise and then lopped off about a million pounds because, as I think is common knowledge, it's important that you signal success early on and beating your target is one way of doing that. So pretty much everybody engineers target that's sufficiently low that they're guaranteed to beat it on day one. And that gives you, I mean, apart from anything else, that's a pretext for sending out a message saying that you've beaten your target, which one additional reason to communicate with the investor community in those important early days. 
So from memory, we had council to go even lower with that opening target. And I sort of felt that lacked integrity. I wasn't because, I mean, at some point it just gets farcical. So we still had a sort of a bit of stretch on day one to get there, but nothing too demanding and, and beating the goal quickly, I think, is important. We had a published target and we had a real target, which might have been a million and a half pounds more. And in the end, got, got well past that as well, which was gratifying. But yeah, ultimately, we had to pull the campaign a little early to keep things at a level that we were comfortable with. And how much of that £1.5 million target had you already got pre-committed from your existing investors? Well, the contributions our investors have made to the round have sort of appeared in a couple of different tranches, so I need to think about this. But I think on day one, we may only have had a million, just shy of a million. Our investors have since put a little bit more in, but that's where we started. So yeah, we had two-thirds of the target from minute one. And I think that's fairly common. And I did get some counsel. I forget who from. It may even have been not from the crowdfunding platform that we ended up working with. But I remember getting some advice to to actually set the target at the level of those starting commitments from existing investors so that you are actually past it from minute one. Something about that left me feeling uncomfortable. So I, I wanted to feel like there was some stretch in there on day one. Otherwise, the whole thing feels like a farce. But yeah. I mean, I think ultimately momentum is, is the thing that matters. And so you can understand how people get there. And you, you decided to choose uh, Cedars for your campaign. What was your reasoning behind that? And did you engage with any other platforms during the process? Yeah, it's, I mean, there's any issue mentioned. We talked to Crowdcube too, as you might imagine. A uh, couple of things really stood out with respect to Cedars. Uh, the first I've already alluded to is to say that the commitments that investors make are real in the sense that they have to put up the cash when they commit and it goes into escrow until the fund is closed. So you can feel a totally different level of confidence around the money that you have raised before you close. And that helped me sleep at night. So I anticipated that might be the case and it was. I found it really reassuring. And the structure of the investment is slightly different. It all takes place through a single nominee. So you don't suddenly have a cap table of, you know, 2,000 people, which, yeah, and, you know, they, they vote as a block um, to the extent that you need them to vote. And yeah, again, that felt like a, a real advantage. So yeah, those, I mean, it's hard to choose between the crowdfunding platforms, to be honest, but those two reasons felt sufficiently hard that, yeah, it helped us get to an answer quite quickly. And what would you say was the most challenging part of the campaign? As I say, I exit the process feeling overwhelmingly positive about it. I've raised money in different ways several times. It's never easy. But actually, if I were to force rank, this felt like one of the more efficient ways to do it. And as I've mentioned, I'm gratified by the opportunity I've been able to give our customers to kind of level up their engagement with Spoke. So I feel very positive about it in the rounds. There's no doubt that it's incredibly distracting, especially around the moment of launch. So there's a lot of marketing effort that goes on in the weeks immediately before launch. And then at launch, you're kind of utterly preoccupied by uh, this very public effort that's going on. So it's definitely a huge bandwidth drain in that moment. And there's a lot of ongoing work to manage the investor community on the platform. And by that, I mean ongoing work during the campaign every day, like a huge draft of questions to address. We know relatively little about this at this stage because we're really, really in the foothills of our, the journey here with the crowd that have joined our cap table, but they're reasonably active on the discussion forums and it requires ongoing management. 
So I think actually in aggregate, we look back at this with a couple of years of perspective, we'll probably think about that community management as being the most burdensome part of the process. All the things that went on around the raise itself will feel like ancient history and like pretty small spikes of effort relative to the ongoing burn of just making sure that, yeah, addressing our investors with the right sort of rapidity and cadence, which is to say, I don't, you drive yourself nuts if you felt like, especially with a couple of thousand engaged um, new investors, you had to stay on top of the conversation day in, day out. We've got a business to run. But at the same time, you know, making sure you, you are engaging with the bigger discussions and that people do feel like they're being heard and addressed um, when they raise reasonable questions about the business and its strategy is, is important. And yeah, that will probably figure as the biggest deal over the long term. Yeah. And hopefully there will be a lot of value that will come from that engagement with the investors. You know, you're now turned a larger portion of your customers into investors into brand ambassadors hopefully you like like other brands will see the value of those specific customers uh, increase over time for sure and most importantly refer their friends that's where you see the real value truth be told most of the people that are going to make the bold decision to invest in a early stage business are probably already pretty sold on the brand and pretty regular customers and certainly when we analyze them we look at the people that come on board that turns out to be true I think the real power of advocacy probably lies in their in their willingness to refer their friends, um, the impulse to do so when you're personally invested. And Ben, having now been through the process, is there anything that you would do differently next time? The thing that immediately jumps out when you ask that question is that I would be more circumspect in rushing to judgment about the success of the campaign in the first 24 hours. That was a painful weekend. I assumed that the response dynamics that attend a normal spoke marketing campaign were relevant for interpreting what was going on in a sort of different and multi-layered approach to the investor community. And that just wasn't true. And I should have taken a breath and waited two or three days and everything worked out just fine. So, yeah, I learned a lot about the path that a crowdfunding campaign can take. I think like the fundamental, everybody warns you beforehand that you've got to get off to a fast start. I mean, this is, you know, if you you hear anything about crowdfunding, you'll hear that. And that is true. That remains true. I suppose on some level, I was right to be preoccupied by how those first two or three days went. But the breakdown of the three days themselves was slightly lumpy and nonlinear. You don't know everything about your campaign inside the first six hours. And that's not always true. When we launch a promotional event or a brand new product at Spoke, I can tell you within two hours how it's going to go because we are so deeply familiar with the response curves to our kind of engaged audience to whom we market trousers every week. But you just can't extrapolate that to investor markets, especially not when you're layering your communications across different audiences. So take a breath would be my... Yeah, my take out from those first two or three days. Yeah. And do you see yourself launching another campaign in the future? Just given where we are, we're breaking even in our core business. And I don't think that, you know, we're working ourselves into a position where the raising finance from any source in the future ought to be elective rather than something that we need to do. And so whether we revisit the crowd would sort of depend on what we were raising for 
and by extension, what the ticket size was. I don't rule it out. I'd be quite surprised. I think if it's a major financing event in Spoke's future, it might be at a different level. And you know, we might be looking at private equity or some kind of strategic investment. So something that feels altogether different in character. I don't rule it out. As I say, I exit this process feeling pretty positive about crowdfunding, perhaps more than I anticipated before I went in. So yeah, never say no. Ben, do you have any final words of wisdom for listeners? Not really. I've covered a lot of it in the last half hour, I think. I would try to avoid watching your own crowdfunding video, especially if you feature in it heavily. That can be quite excruciating. But no, I've probably covered all the hot tips that I have. Stay on top of that community. Stay on top of the conversation, especially in the first sort of 48 hours. That's a big part of signaling to everybody that you're serious. And Ben, where can we find out more about Spoke? At spoke-london.com. I also imagine that if you were to Google Spoke trousers, you'd probably end up with a relevant hit. Those are the two places to find us. It's not just trousers, it's shorts and t-shirts too, which seems especially apposite today. Ben, thanks for taking the time. Cheers. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more advice, head over to crowdfundingchampions.com and be sure to subscribe for the latest interviews.